0: Newsflash friend, you don't have to do every single business strategy that you see other people doing. In fact, there are a ton of strategies that I see people doing that are popular, that are maybe flashy or trendy that I just choose not to do. And there are some that I have done in the past that I've moved away from. And so in today's episode, what I want to do as always is bring you behind the curtain, show you some decision-making that I've done in my strategies for growing my business, show you the strategies that I've stopped doing or don't do at all in the hopes that it might give you a little bit of freedom to uh, make some decisions for yourself. You get to decide what strategies make sense for you and your goals and even the way you want to show up in your business. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of that insight because it's not just what you see people doing, it's why they are doing it or not doing it that really is insightful to you. And I want you to see that from my vantage point. So, without further ado, let's talk about some of my favorite business strategies that I quit using. Welcome to episode 162 of the Graham Cochran show, where I'm here to help you build your online business, work less and live and give more. I'm your host, Graham Cochran. How are you doing today? Hope you are doing well. I'm excited to spend some time with you today. I like these episodes. Um, My hope is that you'll get an insight out of them that sets you free and moves you one to 1,000 steps forward in your business journey. So I'm going to break some of that stuff down today as we talk about strategies that I no longer use or I've said no to from the start that a lot of people are using to grow their businesses just to show you that there's always another way. I'm not saying you should do it my way. I'm not saying that my way is exactly what's going to be best for you and your business, but I want you to feel freedom to build a business and even use marketing strategies that suit your life and serve your life, not the other way around. If you need a system to build your business around, you are ready to start, as my book is called, getting paid for what you know, I've got something for you. I have an entire workshop on how you can create your first $1,000 a month of passive income in just 30 minutes a day. This is going to walk you through the business model. Not necessarily all the strategies to fuel that model. We're talking about that today in the episode, but the foundation, the framework of the model that you need in place to create passive income built around selling your knowledge Passion and experiences, and you can do this in your spare time—just thirty minutes a day. Just go to grahamcochran.com/workshop to check out that free forty-five-minute uh, video workshop. It's an on-demand training for you. Grahamcochran.com/workshop, or if you're watching on the YouTube version of this episode, just click the link below in the description. It's there for you. So, a couple of things that come to mind. Um, that are very popular strategies that depending on who you talk to can be elevated as vital and you must be doing this. Um, There's about six that I uh, do not do or no longer do. And I want to break those down for you today and in in the process, share with you what I do do for my business. Um, Number one is having a big presence and focus on social media this one I I talk about a lot. Social media, people assume marketing social media. And I I understand why it is is where a lot of interaction is happening on the internet Um, and because it's where you can run ads, right? I think that's what really has been a huge catalyst for online business owners thinking about social media because primarily it is best used as a Place to advertise to your target avatar. Um, So, whether that was Facebook, Instagram, or whether it's TikTok now, whatever it'll be in 10 years, doesn't really matter. But there is an emphasis on not only running ads to social media, which I don't do, but in general, just having an organic presence on social media. Now, A, I have a presence, it's not very big. I mean, the recording revolution presence is much bigger 100,000 plus followers on Facebook. Um, and say, Twitter, might be 20, 30,000. I haven't been on Twitter forever. I gave it up years ago um, in terms of me being on it. This brand, the personal, my personal brand, smaller, right? So I don't even know what I have on Facebook. Instagram is my biggest platform for this brand. I think I have like 18,000 followers or something like that right now. So nothing humongous, um, but I'm on those platforms. So people are like, yeah, you're on them. So yes and no. Instagram is the only platform I now physically check and look at and interact with anybody on. And even at that is very minimal. And I don't actually post much. Every once in a while, I'll post a story. I have a person on my team who takes these episodes, chops them up and puts nuggets on my Instagram. He also takes quotes from these episodes and creates quote graphics on my Instagram channel. The reason for this is because it's a place where people seem to want to follow me. So it is for me an opportunity to stay top of mind, let them know what I'm talking about in my latest piece of content and link them back to it if they want to dive into it more. That's about it. Plus Instagram is a place people check when they're looking into who somebody is. Who is this person? Who is this Graham Cochran? And they hear about me on a podcast or an article or it's some media exposure, and they're like, "Let me go check out what he's all about." They might not even go to my website; they might go look me up on Instagram. So it's somewhat of a business card. That's the way I look at it. Now, that might sound like sacrilege to true social media visionaries who understand the platforms, and they're like, "That it's so much more than a business card." Blah blah blah. I get it. I get it. But having a big presence on social media does not equal having a big business that's profitable. It just doesn't. Sometimes there is a correlation, but it doesn't mean there's a causation, right? Just because you're huge on social media doesn't mean you're gonna have a huge business. And I know this also from the fact that a, uh, I interact with a lot of YouTubers there. you, You can become a huge YouTuber and have a huge following and not make any money or you made money for a while and then you don't have any control over it because you were relying on ads or brand deals. And so I'm seeing and interacting with people who amass big followings, but they don't have the business that you think they would. There are two separate things. Now, if you have a massive following, that could be a great tool that you could use in your business that's not what a business is. And you don't need a massive social media following to have a profitable business. You don't even need to be on social media. Crazy. I know, right? You don't need to even be on social media to have a business. So I do not spend any effort to try to have a big presence on social media because it will not drive sales. For some people, it can drive sales. They're the exception, not the rule but most people don't see it that way because they don't see behind the scenes of how business actually operates. Is social media important? I think it can be. Am I coming down on it? No, but I am trying to break the myth that massive social media following should be the goal because that equals big business. It doesn't. Number two strategy that I quit doing was answering every single comment on YouTube. So I started my YouTube channel. I started my blog in 2009 for the recording revolution. And my very first YouTube video was uploaded in January of 2010, okay? And back then I answered every single YouTube comment, partially because I was unemployed and when I I had time, you know, I was building a business, I was freelancing, and in between any of those things, I had time to answer every YouTube comment. Also, I had a rule with myself that I was gonna be the most helpful person on the internet. And so I was going to respond to every single YouTube comment, and every single email that came in and just help as many people as possible, which don't get me wrong, is a beautiful thing. And I'm very glad that I did that. It came to a point where it was untenable. And I remember actually, uh, there was a guy in the music space who had a really massive blog um, and he had a big YouTube channel And uh, this was years ago. And I remember him posting something, um, I think under one of his YouTube videos, or he had an email that went out to his list saying, friends, I just want to let you know, it is becoming virtually impossible for me to respond to every YouTube comment anymore. It's just gotten too big, too many of you. And I'm letting you know that I will not be responding to any more YouTube comments. Don't be mad at me. Don't take it personally. I just don't have the time. And I remember thinking, oh, you can do that. Like that never crossed my mind. And, and that was inspiration to me to realize, oh, there are no like YouTube police saying you got to respond to every comment. So when it got too much for me, I gave myself permission. I gave myself the freedom to stop responding to YouTube comments or only respond when I wanted to. Sometimes when I would travel, I'm at at the airport and I got time. Sometimes I like to respond to comments. This was back in the day for the recording revolution. And that's now become true for this Graham Cochran brand. I don't have time to respond to every single YouTube comment. There's too many now. I try to respond to a handful every week. It's part of my weekly rhythm, but I don't get to every single one. And man, that was freeing. Because also much like with social media, responding to every comment on YouTube does not lead to more money in your, your account. It just doesn't. It might in a one-off scenario where someone's asking a question about a product and you answer it and then they finally get the confidence to go buy it and they go buy it. Sure. But if you're looking at the laundry list of things you could do or should do in your business and you 80-20 it, responding to a YouTube comment is not going to be in the top 20% of activities that drives 80% of your revenue. Now, I have friends that are much more famous than I am who have much bigger YouTube channels than I do. And I remember being at a marketing, an in-person marketing conference at Disney. And uh, you'd go to Disney World and you'd walk through Disney World. And uh, a friend of mine, Andrew Locke, um, runs this amazing amazing conference. I think it's called Magical Marketing uh. Something I forget what it was called, but you pay, you go, and you walk around Disney World. And he basically, as you're walking through the parks, we got to go through two parks and got some private tours underground on the, in the Magic Kingdom, it was pretty cool. We walked through two parks and he's pointing out what Disney does well with their marketing. And then while we're looking at it in real life, in real time, he's applying it to our businesses and helping us to think like Disney thinks with their marketing. Um, it's an incredible experience. And one of my buddies was there And he's a massive YouTuber. He actually invited me to this event. And I remember we were walking and talking and we were talking about the pressure of of our businesses. And he disclosed to me, um, and we actually shared a room in the hotel that that week. He disclosed to me that he responds to every single, makes a point, I think he has over 2 million subscribers. He, He makes a point to respond to every single YouTube comment. And at the time, He had hired two people full-time to respond as him to every single YouTube comment. And like, this blew my mind. Not only the money he was spending, but the time that he was spending and the man hours he was having those two people allocate towards this. And I was like, why do you do that? You don't need to do that. He's like, yeah, you do. And I was like, bro, I don't do that. And he was like, I know you don't. But it was like one of those like, but you're an idiot. And I don't think he meant that I'm an idiot. We love each other, but like, He's a bigger YouTuber than I and he understands YouTube very intimately. He knows the people at YouTube has been to the headquarters at YouTube. He's one of the biggest YouTubers on the, on the platform. And he was kind of saying like, Oh, poor Graham doesn't really know, but I do know, but he's not wrong in that it is great for the algorithm and great for his fan base. And he has built a phenomenal community around YouTube. But again, For our discussion, I go back to what is the point? Is my goal to build a phenomenal community around YouTube? Nope. Is my goal to build a massive YouTube following? Nope. Is my goal to win the algorithm game on YouTube? Nope. Those are nice. Those are means to an end. What is my goal? Grow my business, which means money in my bank account and customers served. And then ultimately those goals are to help with my lifestyle, help me achieve my personal goals, take care of my girls, my wife, be able to be a philanthropist, be able to have my time back and have flexibility and freedom, be able to like take a week off like I did two weeks ago and spend a week with my grandmother in Seattle, my 93-year-old grandmother, flew out there on a whim because I just sensed the guy was saying, hey, go spend some time with her. She's not been feeling well, sat on her couch for three days and just talked or not, sat there in silence, whatever. I had the freedom to go do that for a week. that That's my goal. So if answering every YouTube comment helped me get closer to my goal, then I would consider it. But it would really have to be compelling evidence because it's a huge time commitment and mental strain. But the evidence just isn't there that there's a direct correlation. I, there's other things I can do to grow the business much easier with less effort. So I gave up answering every single YouTube comment because it's just it's not necessary. Number three thing I gave up, launching new products or doing new promotions all the time. Some of you, and I know this, interacting with a lot of you inside my six figure community, some of you are like, I got to launch a new course every quarter. How many, how many products can I launch per year, Graham? Is four too many? Is five too many? And I'm like, dude, there's no, there's no limit. I mean, launch however many you have the energy and margin and and make sense to even launch. I'll make sure they're good products that your people actually want. But I have learned, in, in, so, context year one of having a product, which was 2010 for me, I launched two courses. The next year, I launched three courses. The year after that, I launched a membership. The year after that, I launched a high ticket course. And then, so, 10. And 11, 12, 34. So I did four years of building out products, two, five, six, seven. I built out seven to eight products in my first four years. And then in year five of my business, I said, I'm not going to launch anything new this year. What I'm going to do is focus on writing better sales, getting better at sales copy. I took a bunch of sales copy courses and training and read a bunch of books, write better sales copy, write a better funnel and get smarter about relaunching and re-promoting existing stuff. This was taken to another level in 2017, really late 2016. I hired a a marketing guy um, who actually approached me, who's become a a good friend and is somewhat of a business partner who's functionally running the recording revolution for me these days, um, my first business. And one of the first things he did was like, hey, let's just create an epic bundle of a bunch of your courses. And I was like, oh, okay. We didn't even create anything new, but we created something new out of what existed. And I remember we did a Black Friday deal where we bundled all these products together, made a killer offer. And it was like within the first two months of me hiring him, we did a hundred thousand dollars selling stuff I already had. And I was like, light bulb. I was like, why am I trying to always come up with new products? after having built out a legitimate product suite. If you're in year one, yeah, you, you, you probably have a lot of cool products that you can and should build that will help serve your clients and your customers and create a, an ecosystem for them to navigate and move up through so they have everything they need for success. But get to a point where you don't need to keep launching something new to make money. There are a lot of ways to re-promote or strategically promote existing products. Create new offers out of your existing products. Get creative about how you sell those products. You can even take a course that exists, hint, hint, and repackage it as an eight week or 12 week group coaching program where you sell it for a lot more because there's now a live coaching element where you jump on a call once a week with them as you're going through the course. It's a lot you can do there. I got a friend who's a best selling author. Jordan Rainer. And uh, he actually helped coach me in, in getting my book deal and coming up with a book proposal and getting an agent. Uh, he's been a great friend and mentor in that space since I don't didn't know anything about the, the publishing world. And one of his latest books, um, it's called Redeeming Your Time, which is a phenomenal book, by the way. Go read it. Redeeming Your Time by Jordan Rainer. Um, he has a book. I mean, maybe it's 20 bucks, 25 bucks. He has created a group coaching community called the Redeeming Your Time community. I think it's a $250 community. So 10X the price of his book where he's teaching the seven main time management principles in the book. He's just teaching those over seven weeks in a group. Uh, they read the book. He teaches, you know, pull some of the juiciness out in a live setting and answers their questions. So it's the same. He already has a product, the book. He turned it into a new product. That's 10X the cost of the book. And it's 10X the value of what the people have been paying for that. So get creative. You don't always have to launch a new product to make money. I want you to always be promoting, but that doesn't mean you always have to be building new products all the time. Fourth strategy that I no longer am emphasizing is low ticket offers. Now, I actually like low ticket offers. Um, These are, some people call them tripwire products. I don't mind these as a concept for two reasons. One, I love over delivering. So I love being able to like sell something where I know, dude, this is worth way more than what people are paying for it. That should always be the case. But with a low ticket offer, you're you're sort of subsidizing, you're like, it's almost like a, a loss leader, uh, you know, when somebody sells something for super cheap to get you in the door, because they know you're going to spend more with them on other things. It's kind of what a low ticket offer is. It's you're throwing away money because you're giving them so much value for so cheap. Um, but I feel good about that because I love adding, over delivering and adding value. But two, it really does work in getting people to go from a, a subscriber or a viewer or a fan or a lurker to becoming a buyer. So they're spending 17 bucks, seven bucks, 27, 37 with you for something that's really worth 100, 200, 300. Because they're like, okay, that's that's a good deal. I Even I can see that's a good deal. And now they're a buyer. They have bought something before and then you can, certainly on the, that low ticket offer at an order bump, at an upsell. But more than even that, now they're segmented on your list as a customer. They're more likely to buy your other more premium products, if not right away, then eventually, because they've gotten a taste of what your paid material looks like. So it's a great strategy. I've taught it. I, I ran a low ticket offer all of 2021. It did really well. Um, But I after a year of running it, it it did well. It accomplished what I wanted it to do, but I made a shift back to my original, my original strategy for this brand, which was to be a premium player. And so I found that while it was working, while I was making money, and there was a good chunk of people that were moving up the value chain, as it were, moving up my product ladder um, or offer ladder once they bought, it was also attracting customers that really were tire kickers, which I know, I knew this, um, that weren't ready to move up and they weren't, they weren't really valuing me or something that Re- Ramit safety says, revering my work. He always says, you know, teach your customers and clients to revere your work. And there's something there about showing them that you are a premium player. You have value to offer. And if they can't afford to work with you right now, that's okay. Go find a way to afford it and come back. And so I've gone back to leading off with one of my premium courses. Um, so, to, to get working with me, you have to spend four or 500 bucks to get started and that repels some people, but it attracts a lot of the right type of people. So again, there's nothing wrong with a low ticket offer, but for me personally, I was doing that for a year. I actually really like the product. It's a killer deal. Order bump upsells worked really well, but I'm making a shift back to just lead with my, my flagship course. It's a personal decision. That's the price anchoring that I want to have in my my business and in my funnel. Speaking of products and selling, one thing that I don't do and never have done is selling my courses or products directly on social media or on YouTube. This is not wrong. People do this all the time. I have friends that make a lot of money doing this. This is a personal decision. I much prefer to two things. One, have my free content be exactly that free content. And so that when people interact with me online, everything is free. Nothing is a sales pitch. The public facing version of my brands is all free. So much so that over the years, I have had people who email me and say, I hope you are somehow making money off of this because I've taken so much of your content and used it And it's, it's so valuable. And I laugh because I'm like, guys, I am making millions off of this, Um, but I appreciate the sentiment and it's doing my, the job, which is people just think I'm just giving and giving and giving, you know why they think that? Because, Oh, I am. I'm just giving and giving and giving for free publicly. So I like the, the user experience that creates with my, my followers, fans, viewers, readers, listeners, but two, It's a strategic play. I would much rather, if you're doing a piece of content like this, you you really have one shot at asking them to take action on one thing. You can ask them to take action on three things and they might, but you have a better chance of them taking action if you ask them to do one thing. We call this a CTA, a call to action. You heard me do this at the beginning of the episode and I'm going to do it at the end. What did I do? I told you to go watch my free passive income workshop. It's at grahamcochran.com slash workshop. That is a call to action. I'm, I'm asking you to go do something. I could ask you to follow me on Instagram. I could ask you to go check out my course. I could ask you to uh, like this video or subscribe to the YouTube channel or leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I could ask you to do all those things. Those will all be good things. But what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to go get more free goods with me, which is good for you. But why am I doing that strategically? Well, because it will get you on my email list. You have to subscribe to my email list to acquire that free training, whatever it does I'm offering. And I would rather have the relationship with you than the sale because the relationship with you is better for two reasons. One, if I say go check out my course, you might go click on it, but you might not buy it. And then you're gone. And I still don't have your email address. But if I offer you a free thing, more of you will opt in for the free thing. So now I can follow up with you. And I can follow up with you and do two things. I can follow up with you and give you more goodies and more free things that will make you love me more and get value out of my brand more, which is very intentional. I want you to love me and I want you to love my brand because I want you to trust me because I want you to either A, buy from me and do business with me, And, or you tell other people about how awesome my material is and how much it's helped you, whether you are a free student or a paid premium student, either way, it helps me out. And so I get a better opportunity to add that value, show you the value I have to offer. If I get you on my email list, I'm going to make the sale privately through email marketing. I don't sell publicly. I sell privately. It's so much cleaner. It's so much more delicious. It's so much more effective. Um, and it allows me to separate the two just serve you without asking for anything in return publicly. Like I'm doing right now. I'm not asking you for money at all in this episode, knowing that my system is going to over deliver. If you get on my email list, you're going to get even more and it's going to sell to you automatically. And it's going to do a much better job than I could. And it's going to happen where you have the freedom to go. Oh, I don't know. Or, Oh, that sounds good. So I don't sell publicly and a lot of people do. I would much rather own the relationship because if YouTube goes away, if this podcast disappears, if the algorithms change on Google, I would much rather have a list of subscribers that I can still follow up with no matter what happens with the algorithms, sell to, add value, all that kind of stuff. And final business strategy that I quit using, which is a phenomenal strategy is taking in one-on-one coaching clients. So I get requests every single week to be hired, whether it's just can I buy you for one hour to pick your brain or to work with you one-on-one? I haven't taken a one-on-one coaching client in a year and a half. Um, And that's for two reasons. One, all last year I was writing my book and I wanted to focus on that. But two, I'm really on a mission to make my business as automated and as passive as possible. And when you get to scale, one-on-one coaching is beautiful. And I I still like it for other reasons. When you're starting out, it is a beautiful model to actually make money faster. It's the fastest way to make money and do research. So you're getting paid to do research. But number two, when you get to a point where you've built out your product suite, you've got content that's pulling in leads every single day for you. You have a system that's selling to those leads every single day you have an opportunity to scale your business your your focus likely should shift unless you just absolutely love one-on-one coaching and then in that case you should keep doing it your 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 focus should shift to scalable business practices automatable business practices which leads to you know passive income so for me i make so much more money getting people into my 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 uh, membership getting people into my mastermind uh, getting people into my funnel to just buy a, a course than I would offering one-on-one coaching slots. So it just doesn't make sense for what I'm trying to do right now, which is to build a very profitable multi-seven figure, if not you know eight figure online business that's largely passive, which leaves me freed up to write more books, do public speaking, whatever else God calls me to do. So that, those are my goals right now. So one-on-one coaching isn't a strategy that I'm using in this moment. Ironically, I'm being coached right now uh, by a phenomenal coach to become a better coach. And I may use it for one-on-one coaching again in the future, but right now I'm trying to learn how to coach better for my group coaching programs and even this kind of stuff, sort of one to many coaching. So I'm in a group right now with all people that are doing just one-on-one coaching and trying to build a practice around that. But I'm like the outlier. I'm like, it's all passive. That's not exactly what I'm here for, but I want to get better at coaching. I believe in it. That's functionally what I do. I just do it in a different format. So there you go. Those are six business strategies that I don't use or quit using. And some insight is to why. So here's the thing I want you to take away from this. Here's where I want to go. As we wrap this up, you are going to see, and you are already seeing a lot of people do a lot of things for their businesses, Quizzes, webinars, challenges, social, reels, TikTok, whatever. Whatever the thing is. Do not do what you see people doing for two reasons. Number one, and this is one that people don't talk about enough. You have no idea if what they are doing is working. You ever thought about that? That person doing all those reels on Instagram, that person who's huge on TikTok, that person who's doing those webinars or doing challenges, you don't know if it is leading to lots and lots of money. It might, it certainly might, but you don't know. So why copy something that you see someone doing if you don't know if it's working? That's why copying is a dangerous thing to do. Two, even if it were working for them, doesn't mean it will work for you. Okay you can copy a strategy that's working for somebody and it may not work for you. And sometimes you just don't know until you try it. But here's a bonus one, number three, just because a strategy might actually work for somebody, but it's not working for a lot of people. um, And it, it doesn't mean it'll work for you. But even if it does work for you, it may not be what you want to do or feel good doing. So for example, I have students that hate, and I mean hate, doing live webinars, it stresses them out. They get nervous, especially when it comes to the point of the webinar where you're transitioning from teaching to the pitch. People get clammy, they get sweaty. And I've had people say, Graham, I I hate webinars. I, I suck at them, they make me nervous. Why do I have to do them? And I say, whoa, hold up, you don't. You don't ever have to do a single live thing ever if you don't want to. Do you know that I alternate for my membership, my six-figure coaching community, I open it twice a year, once in January, once in the summer, and I alternate between launching it with a live webinar in the beginning of the year, and then in the summer, I launch it with a three-part video workshop, pre-recorded, just emails go out. It's functionally an email launch. Emails go out, they point to the video workshop. It's all pre-recorded, pre-automated. I'm sitting back eating Cheetos, watching people join. There's nothing live about it. And you know what? I've tested this for three years. I've even done a five-day challenge. This year I did a live five-day challenge, which is like the webinar on crack, on steroids, right? You know what I found? All three convert the same. My conversion rates are the same. Whether I do a live 90 minute webinar, a three part video workshop that's all automated, pre recorded, or a five day challenge where I'm just teaching for a week straight and doing live Q and A and over delivering all these goodies, my darn conversion rate was the same. They all did well, but percentage of list, it was the same conversion rate. What does that tell you? It doesn't matter. You don't have to do a strategy just because everyone's doing it. There are other ways to get the results that you want. So you have the freedom is where I'm going with this to use and ignore the business strategies that you want to build the business that you want, including the marketing and growth strategies that best suit your personality, best suit your season of life, best suit your goals and experiment. Try something if you might, you might love it. I actually love webinars. I love going live but sometimes I don't want to. Like if I'm going to be on vacation, I'd rather have a launch go out. Like for example, as I'm taping this, it'll already have been passed. But as I'm taping this, we're in launch week of a brand new product. I'm not doing anything live. I'm not doing anything for this. It's all pre written emails going out to a sales page. It's all automated. Right? And I'll report back on how it did, but like, I love these kind of launches just as much as I love going live. You have freedom to build the business and the marketing strategy that suits your life. That's the big takeaway I want you to have. And I really want you to make peace with yourself about the decisions you make and say, Hey, I'm doing this because I've seen it work and I like it and I'm not doing this even though everyone else is doing it because I hate it or I realize it's not 80, 20. It's not the 20% that moves the needle. I have freedom to do that. Okay. You have the freedom. I have the freedom. And your business and strategies might look very different than mine, but build it around what you truly want, not what you see people doing. Make sense? Hey, if you want to get started, if you want to build your business the right way, take my workshop, learn how to get paid for what you know. It is a four-part workshop, about 45 minutes. I'm going to walk you through the business model to create passive income, to create $1,000 a month or more in only 30 minutes a day, if that's all you have. It's free. Click the link below the video if you're watching or go to grahamcochran.com slash workshop. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcasting app, hope you have an amazing day and I hope you enjoy your newfound freedom to go build a business and life that truly serves you and not the other way around. Talk to you soon.